Hello everyone and welcome back to the MTG Novels Project. Today we're continuing with Chapter 2 of Planeswalker. However, I wanted to make a note that this is the second novel in the Artifact Cycle. So if you um, don't want spoilers for the Thran or the Brothers War, I'd highly advise you to read those novels before continuing with this one. Coach at the Card Bazaar YouTube has excellent renditions of both the Brothers War and the Thran. See the link in the description. I also want to mention that this work is available both in YouTube and podcast format to allow users to listen for the best method that works for them. So see the descriptions for links for that as well. Um, a legal note, this is an unofficial audiobook with original content belonging to Wizards of the Coast. This content is covered under the 2017 Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Listener discretion is advised. Nearly five years after Argoth was destroyed, and the war between the brothers had ended, Thanos came to my courtyard. He told me much that I had never known, much that I had written here. He told me that my husband was dead, and that he died with my name on his lips. It was a pretty thought, and I would have liked to believe it, but I am not certain that Urza died, and if he did, he would have died calling to Mishra, not to me. Kayla Bing Krug. Zancha lightly brushed her fingertips over the brittle vellum before closing her tooled leather cover of the Antiquity Wars. It was the oldest among her copies of Kayla Bing Krug's epic history, and the scribe who'd copied and translated it nearly 1,200 years earlier claimed he'd had been Kayla's original manuscript in front of him. Zancha had her doubts, if not the scribe's honesty, then about his gullibility. Not that either mattered. For a tale that had no heroes and a very bitter end, the Antiquity Wars had been very carefully preserved for three hundred, or sorry, for three and a half millennia. It was as if everyone still heeded the war in, in Kayla's opening lines. Lest this, the testament of Kayla bin Krug, the last of Yodia, serve as memory, so that our mistakes will never be repeated. Zanja stared beyond the table. On a good night, the window would have been open. She could have lost her thoughts in the stars twinkling above the isolated college. But Dalvinaria hadn't completely recovered from the unnatural ice age that had followed the Brothers' War. Clear nights were rare on Zancha's side of the Ochran Ridge, where the cottage was tucked into a crease of the land. Where the grass ended and the naked mountains began, mostly the weather was cool and damp, or wet, or something in between. Tonight, gusty winds were propelling needle-sharp sleet against the shuttlers. The room had cooled since she, while she read. Her breath was missed, and with a shivering sigh, Zancher May made her way to the peat bin. There were no trees near the cottage. Her meager garden sprouted a new crop of stones every spring, and the crumbling claws that remained after she picked out the stones were better suited for the brazier than for nurturing grains and vegetables. She had to scrounge distant forages for her table and shutters. Even now that the cottage was finished, she spent much of her time scrounging the remains of Tresier, for food and rumors. Shredding a double handful of peat into the brazier, 
beneath the table, Sancha found, as she often did, the squishy remains of an acorn, a reminder of how much Urza and his brother had changed their world with their war. When whole, the acorn would have been lar as large as her fist, and the tree that had dropped it would have had a trunk as broad as the cottage was wide. She crumbled the acorn with the rest, stirred the coals until palpable heat radiated from the iron bucket. Zancha forgot the table and hit her head hard as she stood. She sat a moment, rubbing her scalp and muttering curses until she remembered the candlestick. With a louder curse, she scabbled to her feet. Waste not, want not. It hadn't toppled. Her book was safe. She returned to her stool and opened to a random page. Kayla's portrait stared back at her, dusky, slow-eyed, and seductive. Zancha owned four illustrated copies of the Antiquity Wars. Each one depicted Kayla differently. Her favorite showed Urza's wife as a tall, graceful, and voluptuous woman with long blonde hair. But Zancha knew none of the portraits were accurate. Staring at the shutters, she tried to imagine the face of the woman who, who had known and perhaps loved Urza the Artificer while he was still a mortal man. One thing was certain. Zancha didn't re resemble Kayla Bing Krug. There was no extravagant curves in Zancha's candlelit silhouette. She was short, not tall. Her hair was very drab, brown, which she cropped regularly around her face that was more angular than attractive. Zancha could, and usually did, pass herself off as a slight youth, awaiting his full growth and full beard. Still, Zancha thought, she and Caleb would have been friends. Life had forced many of, of the same hard lessons down their throats. Kayla, however, wasn't the epic character who intrigued Zancha most. That honor went to Urza's brother, Mishra. Three of Zashua's illustrated volumes depicted Mishra as whip-lean man with hard eyes. The fourth portrait depicted him as soft and lazy, like an overfed cat. Neith, neither type matched Kayla's word picture. To Kayla, Misha had been tall, powerful, with straight black hair, worn wild and full. Misha's smile, his sister-in-law had written, was warm and bright as sun on Midsummer's Day, and his eyes sparkled with wit when they weren't flashing full of suspicion. Not all the antiquity wars in Zancha's collection included Kayla's almost indiscreet portrait of her husband's brother. Some scribes had openly seized an opportunity to take a moral stance, not only against Mitra, but other men of more recent vintage. As if a princess was ancient Yotian, could have been foreseen the vices of the Samsar of Even, or Ninkin the Bold. One scribe writing in the year 2657, admitted that she omitted the Mishra second entirely because it was inconsistent with Kayla's loyalty to her husband and therefore a likely fraud and absolutely inappropriate for the education of a young prince who was expected to learn his statecraft from her copy of the epic. Zancha 
Sancho wondered if that priggish scribe had seen the picture on her table. The Caleb and Krug of Sancho's oldest copy wore a veil, three pearl ropes, and very little else. Few men could have resisted, resisted her lure. One of them had been her husband. Beyond doubt, Urza had neglected his wife. No woman had intrigued Urza half as much as his artifacts. How many evenings might Kayla have gone to bed railing at the fates who'd sent her the chaste Urva in her father's palace rather than his charming brother? Urza had never questioned his wife's fidelity. At least, Zancha had never heard him raise that question. Then again, the man who lived and worked on the other side of the wall as Zancha's back had never mentioned his son or grandson either. With a side of yawn, Zancha stowed the book in a chest that had no lock. They didn't need locks in the absolute mist of nowhere. Urza had the power to protect them from anything. The heavy lids served only to discourage the mice that would otherwise have devoured the venom. Zancha, Urza's voice came through the wall as she contemplated the precious library she had accumulated over the last two and a half centuries. She leapt instantly to her feet. The lid fell with a bang. Urza had shut himself in his work room while she'd been off scrounging, and she'd know better than to interrupt him when she'd, when he'd, she'd returned. Sixteen days had passed since she'd heard his voice. Their cottage had two rooms. Hers, which had begun as a shed around an outdoor bread oven, and Urzin, Urza, which consumed everything under the original roof, a dugout cellar and a storage alcove. Urva traveled light, but settled deep. Each room had a door to a common porch, whose thaff rooch provided some protection from the weather. Wind-driven sleep pelted her as Zacha darted down the porch. She shoved the door behind her, then when Urza had noticed a soft sound or draft, took his measure before approaching her. Urza, the great artificer, sat at the high table on a stool identical to her own. By candlelight, Zancha saw that he was dressed in the same tattered blue tunic he'd been wearing when she'd last seen him. His ash-blonde hair spewed from a thong, meant to confine it at the nape of his neck. It wasn't dirty, not the way her hair would have gone foul if it went that long between washings. Urza didn't sweat or purge himself in any of the usual ways. He didn't breathe. When he was wrapped in his studies, he never needed to eat, though he spoke in the mortal way and ate heartily sometimes. If he cooked something that appealed to him, he drank water, never caring where it came from, or how long it stood stagnant. But the slop's bucket behind his door never needed emptying. Urza didn't get tired either, which was a serious problem, because he remained mad enough to need sleep and dreams for the purge of his thoughts. There were times when Sancha believed that all Urza's thoughts needed purging, but this was one of them. Mountain rose from Urza's table. All too familiar mountains, shaped from clay and crockery. Quick silver streams overflowed the corners, as melting sleek trickled down her spine. Zancha wondered if she could retreat and pretend she hadn't heard. She judged that she could have, but didn't. 
I've come, she announced in the language only she and Urza spoke. Rooted in ancient Argivian, with a leaven of Yotian, and tidbits from a thousand other worlds. Urza spun quickly in a stool, too quickly for her eyes to follow his movements. Indeed, he hadn't moved. He'd reshaped himself. It was never good sh a good sign when Urza forgot his body. Meeting his eyes confirmed Zadja's suspicion. They glowed with their own rainbow light. You summoned me? He blinked and his eyes turned mortal. Dark irises within white sclera. But that was the illusion. The other was real. Yes, yes, come see Zadja. Look at what had been revealed. She'd soon have entered the ninth sphere of Phyrexia. Well, perhaps not the ninth sphere, but the seventh, certainly. Come, come, it's not like the last time. At least he'd remember the last time in the mountains had exploded. Sansa crossed the narrows of the oblong room until she stood at arm's length from the table. Contrary to his assurance, it was like the last time, exactly like the last time, and the time before that. He'd recreated the plain of the river Kor, beyond the Kerr Ridge, and covered the plain with gnats. She kept her distance. I'm no judge, Urza, but to my poor eyes, it looks similar. You must get closer. He offered her a glass lens set in an ivory ring. It must have been seething poison for the enthusiasm with which she took it. He offered her his duel. When that didn't entice her, he grabbed her arm and pulled. Zantia clambered into the stool and bent over the table with glass between her and the gnats. Despite reluctance and reservation, Zantia let out an odd sigh, as an artificial Urza was incomparable. What had appeared to be gnats, whereas she would have known them to be, tiny automatons, each perfectly formed and unique. In addition to men and women, there were horses, their tails swishing in imperceptible breezes harnessed to minuscule carts. She didn't doubt that each was surrounded by a cloud of flies that the glass could not resolve. Nothing on the table is alive. Urza was adamant that his artifacts remained within what he called the supreme principle of the thread. Artifacts were engines in service to life, never life itself, and never, ever sentient. Bright tents pimpled Urza's table landscape. There are even miniature representations of the artifacts he and his brother had brought to the place, the time that Kayla called the Dawn of Fire. Sancha forced her attention on the automata. She found Misho's shiny dragon engine, a ground-bound bumblebee among the gnats, and Urza's delicate ornithopters. When Zansha saw an ornithopter spread its rings and rise above the table, She's confident that she'd seen the reason for Urza's summoning. Miniaturizing those early artifacts had a greater challenge than creating the swarms of tiny men and women who milled around them. You've got them flying. Urza pushed her aside. His eye required no polished assistance. He could likely see the horse flies, the fleas, and the worms as well. Jansa noticed that he was frowning. It's very good, she assured him, fearing that initial response hadn't been sincere enough. No, no, you're looking in the wrong place, Sancha. Look here. He positioned her hands above the largest tent. What do you see now? Blue cloth, she replied. 
knowing full well that within the tent a Tauntau Reds Urza and the major character of Kalos Epic were mid through way, way through a scene she'd observed many times before. At first she'd been curious to see how Urza's script might differ from his wife's, but not anymore. Urza muttered something. It was probably just as well that Zanta didn't catch it, and the blue cloth came as a shadow through which the Tom Tom could be clearly seen. There was Urza, accurate down to the same blue shirt and threadbare trousers. His master student, Taunos, stood nearby, a half-head taller than the rest. The crew warlord, the Falaji Kadir, and a score of others, all moving as they were alive, and oblivious to the huge face hovering overhead. Mishra is in the shower tent too, but Urza was particular about his younger brother's gnat. While all the others had mortal features, Misha was never more than wisps of metal at the Quartier's side. Is it the second morning? Zatcha asked. Urza was breathing down her neck, expecting conversation. She hoped he didn't intend to show her the assassinations. Suffering, even of a tauntaw, repelled her. Another glimpse of Urza. Then look for Ashnod. According to a Tikde war wars, Auburn haired Ashnod wasn't at the dawn of fire, but Urza always made a gnat in her image. He put it on a table where it did nothing except get in the way of the others. To appease her hovering Kapadja, Sancha moved the glass slightly and found a red cape dot in the shadow of another tent. You moved her there. Never, Urza roared. His eyes flashed and the air within the scrolls very still. I have refined my understanding. I do not ever control them. Each time, I create new opportunities for the truth to emerge. Time, Sancha. Time is always the key. I call them motes of time. The tiny motes of time that replay the past. Long after events have passed beyond memory. The more I refine my tom-tom, the more of those motes that I contract. Truth attracts truth as time attracts time, Sancha. And the more motes of time I can attract, the more truth I learn about that day. And finally... Finally, the truth clings to Ashnod. She had been drawn out of her lies and deception. Watch as she reveals what I've always suspected. Urza snapped his finger and easily fascinated and repelled. Sancha watched Ashnod's gnat sculpt from shadow to shadow until it was outside the parley tent, very near Anisha's back. Then Ashnod's gnat knelt and manipulated something. The glass wasn't strong enough to unmask the objects and a tiny spark leaped from her hands. Misra's wisps and flitterings glowed green. The illusion of moment and free will was so seamless that Sancha asked, What did you think she do? What did she do? Rather than, What did it do? What do you think? Your eyes were open. Were you paying attention? Must I move them back again and do it again? Urza replied. Urza was less tolerant of free will in his companions. Zancho marveled that Tano's lover left him, but perhaps Urza had been less acid tongues in his mortal days. I don't know, she set the lens on a shelf slung beneath the table. It never be my place to tell. Tell me, and I will stand enlightened. Their eyes locked, and for a moment Zancho stared into the Asian jewels, through which Urza interpreted his life. Urza could return her to a memory. But he blinked first. Proof. Proof at last. Ashnod's the one. I always expected. 
she was the first the Phyrexian suborned. Urza seized the lens and thrust back in Xander's hands. Now look at the dragon engines. The Yotians have not been getting to move against the Kadir, but see, see it has already awakened. Ashna caught, cast her spark upon my brother, and he called to it. It would only respond to him, you know. Sancha didn't peer through the lens. A blanket of light had fallen across the work table. A hungry blanket that rose into Urba's glowing eyes, rather than face fall from them. Mishra, Mishra, Urza wondered. If only you could see me now, hear me. I was not there for you then, but I am here for you now. Cast your heart upwards, and I will open your eyes to the treachery around you. Sancha didn't doubt Urza's ability, only his sanity, especially when he started talking to his gnat brother. Urza believed that each moment of time contained every other moment, and that it was possible not only to recreate the past, but to reach into it and affect it. Someday, as soon as the sun rose in the east, Urza would talk to the gnats at his table. He'd tell Misha all the secrets of his heart, and Misha would answer him. None of it would be the truth, but all of it would be real. Sancha dreaded that day coming. She set the lens down and tried to distract Urza with the question. So your side? Urza focused on the uncanny life in his face. Not my side. It was a part to everything that happened that day. I was ignorant of everything. They lied to me and deceived me. They knew I would never consent to their treachery. I would have never stopped them. Oh, sorry, I would have stopped them. I would have warned my brother. Zancha beat a tactical retreat. Of course. But even if you had, the end would not have changed, she said in her most soothing tone. If you have got it right, now, then the warlord schemes were irrelevant. Through Ashnod, the Phyrexians had their own treachery against the Quadir and Warlord, and against you and Mishra. None of you were meant to survive. Yes, Ura said in caught breath. Yes, exactly. Neither the Quadir nor the Warded Lord were expected to survive. It was a plot to capture me as they had already captured my brother. Thus, he was willing, but also reluctant, to talk to me. He turned back to the table. I understand, brother. I forgive. Be strong, Mishra. I will find a way to save you, as I saved myself. Zacha repressed a shudder. There were inconsistencies among her copies of the Antiquity Wars, but not on the scale Urzin proposed. Was your brother transformed then, or, what, or still flesh? Urza backed away from the table. His eyes were clouded against normal in appearance. I will learn that next time, or the time after. They have suborned him. See how his response to Ashnod? She was their first creature. They must have known that if we talked privately, I would have sent chain into him. I would have set him free. If there is still any part of him left, that, would have, that could have been freed. Or I would have turned my wrath on them from that point forward. They knew I could not be suborned, Zadja, because I progressed the Might Stone. The stones have equal power, but the power is different. The weak stone is weakness, and the Might Stone is strength, and the Phyrexians never dared my strength. Ah, the evil day that, that Zadja, 
If they had not driven us apart, there would have been no war except against them. You see that, Zancha? You see that, don't you? And I, my brother and I together would have driven them back to Kolos. They knew our power before the, them, and we began to guess it. They, them, they, them. With Urza, it came back to they and them. Phyrexians, Zancha knew Phyrexians for the enemies they were. She never argued that they hadn't played a pivotal role in Urza's wars. Perhaps they had suborned Mishra and Ashnod too. But while Urza played with the Nats on the table, another wave of Phyrexians, real Phyrexians, had washed up on Donaria's shore. It makes no difference, she protested. Misha's been dead for more than 3,000 years. It matters whether you failed him, or Ashnod destroyed him, or the Phyrexians subdued him, or whatever happened here. The dawn of fire or after, Urza, you're creating a past that doesn't matter. Does it matter? They took my brother from me and made of him my great enemy. And matters, Sancha, it always matters. More than anything else, I must learn how they did and how they, and when they did it, he breathed. A slow sigh. I could have stopped them. I must not fail again. He held his hands above the table. Sancha didn't need the lens to know that Misha's gnat shone bright. I won't, Mishra. I will never fail again. I have learned caution. I have learned deception. I will not be tricked, not even by you. Before Urza had brought Zancha to Dominaria, she'd be even more sympathetic to his guilt-driven obsessions. Now, she said, not even you can change the past, and didn't care if he struck her down with his impudence. Are you going to stand by and play with the toys while the Fraxians steal your place from you? They're back. I smelled them in Bazarat, in Morverin. The Bazarati and Morvenish are at war with each other, just as the Lotians and the Flagi were, and the Fraxians are on both sides. Sound familiar? His neck ached from standing, staring at him, braving his gemstone stare. Zancha had no arcane power to draw upon, but Nosa knows she was more stubborn. Why is we here, she asked in a breathless silence. If you're going to take a stand against the Fraxians, we could play games anywhere. Urza retreated. He moistened his lips and made other mere mortal gestures. Not games, Zanta. I can't afford no more mistakes. Darbnara has not forgotten or forgiven what happened last time. I must tread lightly. So many died. So much was destroyed. And all because I was blind and deaf. I could not seem that my brother was not himself. That he was surrounded by enemies. I did not plead his pleas for help. He never pleaded for help. That's why he did here. And you can never know why he didn't. Because you can never talk to him again. No matter what happens in this room, on that table, you can't bring him back. Now you've got Ashnod's tent outside, and you've made her into another Frexian, pulling Mishra's strings. The Yotians were planning an ambush. The Frexians were planning an ambush, and you weren't wise to either plot. The Dawn of Fire. How did she manage, 30 years later, to Santanos 
to you with a silex? Or was the part of the plot too? I compli I'm compliate. Fraxians doesn't have a conscience, Ursa. A comp compliate Fraxian doesn't feel remorse. It can't. Mishra never did. He couldn't. He being suborned, Mishra shouted. Usurped, corrupted, destroyed. He's no longer mad when I faced him in Argoth. They've taken his will, flushed his spirit, and stretched it over an abomination. But they didn't take Ashnod's will. She sent the Silex. Was her will stronger than your brother's? Zancha played a dangerous game herself. I played it to the, the brink. Urza had frozen. No brinking or breathing. As if he'd become an artifact himself. Zancha pressed her advantage. Was Ash not stronger than you too? Strong enough to double deal the Frexians and save Dominaria in the only way she could? No, Urza whispered. No? No what, Urza? Once you start treating men and women as Frexians, where do you stop? Ashnod's skulking out of the side of your tent before the dawn of fire. Ashnod's setting Talos with the Cygnus. One time she's a Frexian puppet, the next time she's not. Are you sure you know which is which? Or maybe she was a puppet both times. And what would that make you? Use, you use the cyclics. Urza folded a step. Stop, he warned. The Frexians spent 300 years trying to slay you before they gave up. I think they gave up because they'd found a better way. Leave you alone in the mountainside playing with toys. He'd been a powerful man, if muscular, and bone had been his strength's only source. But Urza had the power of the Thran. Through his eyes and the power of the sorcerer standing on his native ground, his arm began to move. As long as as she could see it moving, Zancha believed that she was safe. The fist touched her hair and stopped. Zancha held her breath. He'd never come that close. Never actually touched her before. They couldn't go on like this. Not if there's going to be any hope for Dominaria. Urza, she whispered when her lungs demanded air. Urza, can you hear me? Do you see me? Urza touched his arms. Urza! Urza, talk to me. He trembled and grabbed her shoulders for balance. He didn't know his strength. Pain left her gasping. Her eyes were shut when he made the transition. Temporary even at the best of times. Back into here and now. Something happened to Urza when he cast his power over the work table. Not the truth but definitely not real, and definitely getting worse. Zancha, his eyes sprang away from her as if though from a red-hot piece of metal. Zancha, what is this? He stared at the Crockett Mountains as he'd never seen them before. Though Zancha had seen even the reaction more times than she cared to remember, you summoned me, Urza, she said flatly. You had something new to show me. But this, he gestured at the mountains, and then that cover table. Where did this come from? Not not me, not again, she nodded. I was sitting as the porch of the sun setting. It was quiet and peaceful. And I thought of I thought of the past, Sancha. And it began here. He shrunk himself. You weren't here. I was after food. You were inside and I turned. 
Urza, you gotta get rid of the past. You're not. It's not healthy, even for you. This is not healthy. They stare at each other. This had happened so many times before that there is no longer need for conversation. Even the moment when Urza stepped everything off his table was entirely predictable. It's starting, Urza tr truly started. This time, there's a war south of here, Zaza said. While dust still rose from the crumbling mountains, Quicksilver slashed across the dirt-packed floor, and gnats by the hundreds scabbled for shelter. Phyrexians! I count them on both sides. Sleepers. They take orders. They don't give them. But it's Darmania's war with Phyrexia. Interference on both sides. He took the, the directions directly from her hand. A painless process when she cooperated. Bazaret and Morvin. I don't know these names. They aren't mighty kingdoms with closed histories. They're little more than wall cities, a few villages, and a keep the, to keep the grudge going. A, a handful of good minds in the hills between them. Something for the Frexians to exploit. They, they are getting bolder. bolder. Benserat and Morvern aren't the only place I scented glistening oil in the wind. But this is the first war. You have been interfered. Her voice harshened and his eyes flashed. With Urza, madness was never more than a moment away. You said I must, and I obey. You should look for yourself. Now is the time. Perhaps I dare not move too soon. The land remembers there. Can be no mistakes. I must have cause. I must be careful, Zansha. If I reveal myself too soon, I foresee disaster. We must weigh our choices carefully. Retorts were in Zansha's mind. It was never true we with Urza, but she made her choice long ago. No one will suspect even if you use your true name and shape. There's been a score of doom saying Urza on the road to Seer alone. You've become the stuff of legends. No one would believe that you were you. A smile waves to his companion's face. That's bad still. The squirrel has become a war. So it began with the fallage of the Iotians. Who knows? There might be brothers. You've been up here too long, Urza. Urza reached into her mind again, gathering landmarks and languages, which she willingly surrendered. Then in a blink of time, she was back to her own proper consciousness. Urza faded into the between worlds, which was, among other things, the fastest way to travel across the surface of a single world. Good luck, she wished him, then knelt down. Crashing crockery had crushed a good many of Urza's gnats. Quicksilver had dissolved countless others, yet many swirled around the confusion on the floor. Zampa labored until midnight, gathered them into a box no deeper than her finger, but far too safe for every of them to climb. When a dirt was motionless, he took the box into the al alcove where Urza stored his raw materials. 
The shelves were neat. Every casket and flank, flask was clearly labeled. I did in a language Zanta couldn't read. She didn't need to read labels. That flask she wanted had a unique lambent glow. It was a pure photon. Distilled from fire, starlight, and mana. A recipe Urza had found in the world when he'd found Zansha. Waste not one touch, she whispered over the same voice. The gnats blazed like fireflies as they flew through the floton and then were gone. Zansha was sealed the flask and returned it to the shelf, exactly as she'd found it, before returning to her own room. She had a plan of her own, which she promised herself she'd implement. When the time was right, that time had come when Urza touched her hair. If Urza couldn't see the present Phyrexian threat because he was obsessed with the past, if he couldn't care about the folks of Brezret or Morveen because he cared too much about what had happened to Mishra, then Zadja figured she had to bring the past of Mishra to Urza. She had it all worked out in her mind. As much as she'd ever worked anything out, she found a young man who assembled Kira's word picture, teaching the words to Urza's guilty questions that troll her menacingly of Mishra's past Urza's eyes. A new Misha would cure his madness. Nothing could do that, not while those power stone eyes were lodged in Urza's skull. But if a false Misha could convince Urza to walk away from his workstation, that would be enough. So that has been Chapter 2 of Planeswalker. Thanks for listening.